Hello friends, welcome to a Tuesday afternoon coming to you from Tyler, Texas. If you're watching live, it is Tuesday afternoon on February 14th. And so a happy Valentine's to everyone out there. I hope that you have a wonderful Valentine's Day. Hope you're able to be with or at least have contact with your Valentine today. Uh, my Valentine, we have exchanged text messages and a little tiny simple presents. But uh, uh, Valentine's Day is always special to Joyce and me because on our first Valentine's Day as a couple, we met in seventh grade in Dwight Junior High School, Miss Lofton's uh, homeroom English class back in 1969, I think we decided that was. Um, anyway, uh, we met then, but we didn't start dating until our senior year of high school because one of the two of us was a little slow on the ball on that one and uh, he'll remain anonymous. Uh, but anyway, we started dating our uh, October of our senior year. So Valentine's Day, we'd been together for a little bit as a couple. And um, I, that Valentine's Day in uh, 1970, I guess that would make it, I gave her a uh, promise ring. So uh, actually, that was not true. That's when we met Valentine's Day of 1975, our senior year. That's when that was. I gave her a little promise ring. It was massive. It was like 0.04213 carats or something like that. It was pretty tiny, kind of microscopic, but she's got it. She wears it as a, as a necklace. She's kind of put some things together with it, and our girls, of course, love it. So uh, a little Valentine's Day story of trivia from Bill and Joyce, and hope that uh, you have a wonderful Valentine's Day. Uh, today. This uh, this afternoon, we're looking at the book by Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest, on Tuesday afternoons. And the lesson today is kind of on sanctification, which is one of those $1.298 religious words. It comes from the same word as holy or holiness. And um, when you talk about the word saint, that is uh, a term that's actually a an adjective that's used as a noun you could just say it's the word holy but you could say it as a holy one or a holy person that's the word saint that's translated saint uh, in some of the translations uh, and the word sanctification comes from that same group of words so it kind of basically means being made holy and for christians for people who have been saved by the blood of jesus christ and have responded in faith being buried with Christ by baptism into death and being raised to live a new life, as Romans 6 says, uh, that's justification. That part occurs when we're drying off, uh, actually just before we dry off, when we come out of the water of baptism. But sanctification is a process. That's something that goes uh, throughout the rest of our lives. Being made holy, being made more and more in the image of Christ, uh, becoming more and more of what God created us to be and what his vision for us is. And so there's a lot in uh, Chambers' book about sanctification. A lot of people have written about that, a lot of scriptures about it. Really, you could say that the whole New Testament is given for that purpose because it's a church book. It's written to Christians and to churches about how to be faithful as a Christian, as a church that honors Jesus Christ and the Bible as his word and seeks to live by that. And so that's, that is uh, the process of sanctification, being made holy, being made more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Well, uh, in Chambers' book, over the last week or so, we've been reading some things about sanctification. Uh, and one of the things he talks about is this passage of scripture from Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. 
Paul says, if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And then later on, he's going to say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. So this is sacrificial language. This is a language of sacrifice. Uh, the, uh, the blood being poured out in a sacrifice, a, uh, an animal such as a lamb or a calf being offered on the altar uh, for God as a sacrifice. And, and so he talks about that to the Philippians, and he wrote that one from jail. He wrote Second Timothy from jail also, but Second Timothy was written shortly before he actually was killed, as best we can tell. In Philippians 2, he is in jail, but he is uh, for the faith, by the way, might ought to say that. But he also is thinking that he's going to be released. He doesn't know for sure, but Philippians 1 is a pretty clear indication that he thinks that God has work for him yet to do. In 2 Timothy, that's not the case at all. There's a sense of urgency in 2 Timothy. In fact, that passage that we looked at, 2 Timothy 4, as he talks about already being poured out like a drink offering, he talks about how I have finished the course, I have kept, kept the faith, uh, all of those things that he talks about in that great passage. And, um, and, and so he understands what that means. Question is, of course, for you and me, do we understand it? Do we understand it? So we'll look to some of Oswald Chambers' thoughts on this subject uh, for a few minutes here, starting with that verse in Philippians 2, verse 17, being poured out. Uh, and he asked the question in this chapter from February 5th's reading, are you ready to be poured out as an offering? And I like the way he puts it. He says, this is what we typically say. I don't want God to tell me how to serve him. I want to choose the place of my own sacrifice. I think sometimes we forget that um, Romans 12 talks about being a living sacrifice, offering our body as a living sacrifice. And, and here's the deal. Um, the sacrifice E <laughs> doesn't get to tell the sacrificer how to sacrifice. Uh, just like with that great story of Abraham and his son Isaac, when God had told him mysteriously, unbelievably, to offer up his son, his only son, Isaac, whom you love. Uh, Genesis 22 talks about that and offer him up as a sacrifice. And so Abraham didn't get to call that shot, and he was ready to do it, and God stopped him. Nobody stopped God when Jesus was on the cross. Um, unfortunately, there was no one there to stop that sacrifice. All had forsaken him, and Jesus himself was willing. He was the only one that could have stopped it, or his father, of course. But uh, uh, God wanted that sacrifice to be made. And and, and we don't get to call the terms on the sacrifice. We, we, t we seem like we want to, right? I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice God. I just want to tell you how I'm going to do it and what I'm going to do and what the limits are. Well, um, that's not quite uh, the idea behind a sacrifice. Chambers asked the question, are you ready to be less than a mere drop in the bucket? To be so totally insignificant that no one remembers you? Uh, even if they think of those you served? You know, that's, that's the question. When you're a sacrifice, it's that, it's that submission idea. We don't like that word in the United States of America, submit or being submissive. For some reason or another, we've, uh, we've turned against that. We think that's a show of weakness, but 
For Jesus, it was a sign of the greatest strength of all. He submitted himself uh, to the cross. He endured that cross, Hebrews 12 says, scorning its shame. And he did it because of joy. The joy set before him as being that sacrifice that could do the will of the Father. He prayed, your will be done. And we pray that when we pray the Lord's Prayer and at other times, but do we mean it? Are we willing to be poured out as an offering for God? The way Paul talks about to the Philippians and to his young uh, uh, protege, Timothy, not long before he was killed. Uh, Chambers writes this, are you ready to be poured out as an offering? It is an act of your will, not your emotions. Tell God, you're ready to be offered as a sacrifice for him, then accept the consequences as they come. In our Bible class and sermon series we're going through right now, based on the book by a wonderful book by Sarah Barrett uh, called Stand Up, Stand Strong, we're talking a lot about uh, this post-truth mentality of letting our emotions and our feelings have the final word of judgment of what's right and wrong and how we should live, rather than what is true. And, and I think that that's what he's talking about here. Being, being uh, uh, poured out as an offering to God is an act of the will. It's something that we do willingly and, uh, and not because we feel like it. When Paul says in Romans 12, present your bodies as living sacrifices, that's not something that you would want to do. Um, and Jesus himself, in, in Luke chapter 9 and in other places, he says, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself, not fulfill all your wildest desires or your easy desires. <laughs> deny yourself. Take up your cross, which was comparable to our gas chamber or lethal injection or firing squad. Uh, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That's what Jesus calls us to do, to be that living sacrifice, to be poured out as an offering. And we don't do that because we feel like it, because many times it requires sacrifice. It requires us denying ourselves. It requires us accepting some consequences uh, that we may not otherwise have wanted uh, to accept. And it's interesting when you think about those first century disciples uh, and specifically in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the ones who there were there with Jesus. And I think of Thomas, and we call him Doubting Thomas because in John 20, when Jesus is raised from the dead, he appears to the other apostles, the ten, uh, minus Thomas, who wasn't there that day, and minus Judas Iscariot, who had already killed himself after uh, betraying the Lord. Um, Thomas says, look, I can't, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it. And I can't help but think that it wasn't just doubt for Thomas. I believe that it was because he was so, he had put so much into this. This was the one he thought was going to be the Savior. Luke 24, verse 21 puts it this way. When Jesus is talking to those two on the road to Emmaus and they're telling him about all of this, one of the things they say is this, we were hoping that it was he, Jesus, who is going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this today, it's the third day since these things have happened, the crucifixion. And now we're hearing these wild stories about the tomb being found empty. Well, I think we, we get it with those disciples. We, uh, and I think we understand where Thomas is coming from. They put everything they had into following Jesus. He truly had called on them to leave everything and follow him, and they did, just as he has done with us. And then it doesn't work out quite like we had expected or thought or maybe even hoped. 
You see, we have our own understanding and idea of what it means to be poured out as an offering to God, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices. And Chambers talks about it from the perspective of a term that I'm not sure I've heard before, spiritual lust. Spiritual lust. He says this, lust means I must have it at once. We typically think of it as a sexual desire. Lust means I ha must have it at once or a, a desire for money, a lust for money or power. Spiritual lust, he says, causes me to demand an answer from God instead of seeking God himself who gives the answer. That's a very seemingly insignificant but so important difference. Spiritual lust causes me to demand an answer from God instead of seeking God himself who gives the answer. When we pray, what are we doing? We're talking to God, I get it. We're asking him for stuff, likely. But let's, let's think about the purpose for prayer. The purpose for prayer is to connect us to the one who can give us those things, not just to get those things. It's to connect us to the one who is worthy of our praise. And hopefully some of your prayer time includes just praising him, just giving thanks to him, being grateful, acknowledging the blessings he's already given you, even if he never gives you another thing. Even if all the answers to your prayers from here to the end of your life is no, still, you praise him because he is worthy. And this is where we get to this uh, quote that I mentioned in the, the little Facebook uh, promo for this lesson today that I put out a couple of hours ago. Chambers says, whenever we insist that God should give us an answer to prayer, we are off track. The purpose of prayer is that we get a hold of God, not the answer. Is that your purpose when you go to pray? to get hold of God? Or is it your purpose just to tell God and ask him for things? Tell him what you're going through. And I get it. I understand that there are times in our lives when we are at such a, a significant crisis and there's such an urgent need than we should. I, I understand our, our dear friends, David and Jenny Wicks, he's one of our shepherds here, uh, are so concerned for their little grandson in Georgetown, Eli, who has gone through so much since birth uh, a year or two ago. And, um, and he's had all, he's got surgeries facing him. He's been involved in a surgery this week, trying to, trying to get his heart uh, working right. This little bitty tiny boy that's not even two years old. Well, I understand that at this moment, those parents and grandparents, they're praying fervently for God to heal him, for God to work through whatever means God has. And that's what I pray for him too. And that's understandable. I mean, you wouldn't say anything to God, other than that, uh, you still can try to be disciplined and praise him and thank him. And I think they do, but really at the heart of everything is that intense uh, pressure and anxiety that they feel for this, this child that they love so much, that's fought so hard already and continues to fight. Uh, pray for Eli uh, today, even though that may be all you know about him, that's okay, God knows. Um, but other times, let's talk about most of the time when you pray. You've heard me talk about that acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, not A-X, A-C-T-S. Uh, and, and that's when we, uh, I, I think that's a good outline for your prayers generally. Uh, it starts with A, adoration. 
adoring God, worshiping God just simply because he's worthy. Next is confession, acknowledging our sins, confessing uh, that we are sinners. T, of course, is for thanksgiving, being grateful. And then finally, you get to the S, A-C-T-S. The S is supplication. That's when we ask for things. If every time you pray, all you do is ask for things, or that's what you do first, and that takes up most of your prayer time, you might want to rethink that. You might want to learn to be disciplined enough to spend some specific time where you're talking to God, you're getting a hold of God, as uh, Chambers says, and you don't ask him for a single thing. There are a few Psalms that are kind of like that. Uh, I think Psalm 103 is one of those where the psalmist praises God and, and thanks him and doesn't ask him for a single thing. When was the last time you prayed like that? Again, whenever we insist that God should give us an answer to prayer, we're off track. The purpose of prayer is not to get an answer that we want, but the purpose of prayer is to get hold of God, to communicate with the Father. Uh, we hear Jesus and see him so earnestly, sincerely, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying for that cup to be taken from them if there's any other way possible. And yet, and yet, in the midst of that, what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. That prayer, thy will be done, is the hardest prayer of all. It truly is. Because then we are turning ourselves loose and, and giving God carte blanche in our lives. Lord, whatever you decide, However you want me to be poured out, I'll do it. However you want to answer the concerns of my heart today, um, I'll, I'll abide by it. I'll trust you either way, whatever you choose. Getting a hold of God, communicating with God, talking to your heavenly Father, that's what prayer is. And that's the most significant part of it. And I love the way he puts that again. The purpose of prayer is that we get a hold of God, not of the answer. Love that. One of the most amazing revelations of God comes to us when we learn that it is in the everyday things of life that we realize the magnificent deity of Jesus Christ. Because that's the way he presented himself every day, and that's what he does for us as well. And so Paul writes to the Thessalonians, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. You knew we'd finally get around to that word, right? Well, we've been talking about it the whole time, whether that's the word we use or not. Being made holy is being poured out. Uh, being sanctified is uh, talking to God in prayer simply because he's your father and your creator uh, and your savior. Uh, when we pray, asking God to sanctify us, are we prepared to measure up to what that really means? We take that word sanctification much too lightly. Are we prepared to pay the cost? Again, to pray that prayer that God would uh, uh, sanctify us, would use us, would allow us to be poured out like an offering. And then are we willing to go with that? Thy will be done, whatever that looks like. Chambers says sanctification means to be intensely focused on God's point of view. I like that. Sanctification means to be intensely focused on God's point of view, not Bill's, not yours, but God's point of view. Thy will be done. I'll be poured out as an offering, as a sacrifice on the altar, uh, in whatever way you choose, God. That's a, 
That's a hard prayer. Chambers says sanctification means being made one with Jesus so that the nature that controlled him will control us. The Apostle Paul talked about that fight that he had between the flesh and the spirit in Romans chapter 7 and 8 and again in also to the Galatians. Uh, and I, I think that that's that battle, that battle of the flesh, what I want, versus the spirit, the will of the Father. It will cost absolutely everything in us, which is not of God. Jesus doesn't ask for much, right? Just everything. But he gives us everything back and more. Uh, he gives us what we could never get on our own. And being poured out is being given over to Christ and to his will and to his spirit. The resounding evidence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is the unmistakable family likeness to Jesus Christ and the freedom from everything which is not like him. That's what it means to be sanctified. I hope and pray that you are that today and that you are continuing in that process. None of us has arrived, nor will we ever, until we join the multitudes of other faithful who have trusted in the saving blood of Jesus Christ and the loving faith in, G in God himself and join them around, the, around that great throne and being willing uh, on this side of that salvation to give ourselves completely over to him, uh, to seek him to get a hold of God in our prayers and to offer ourselves as living sacrifices being poured out like a drink offering before the Lord. I pray that that will be you. Hope you have a good rest of your week and again, Happy Valentine's Day. Hope you remembered. I'll see you on Thursday.